Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. have a seat. Feel free to have a seat. Good morning. Anybody ever feel like you're good at something until you realize you aren't? (laughs) I mean, I think we've seen it, right? Like we've watched American Idol. (laughs) People think they're good at something and then they're on stage and they're auditioning and you're like, how did they get on this show? Right? Like, Even I could do better than that, right? Maybe it's uh, job performance, right? You're like, I think I'm pretty good at this. And then you get your performance review and you're like, I guess I have some things I need to work on. (laughs) Who would have thought? How about this? This is something I found on Instagram the other day. Parenting was so much easier when I was raising my non-existent kids hypothetically. Anybody else? That's right, I had all the answers. I knew that it was essential, if you were a good parent, you would never allow stains on your couch. Ew. Or pretzels crumbled in your car seat. Disgusting, right? The things that we think we know, and then all of a sudden realize maybe we don't know these as well as we thought we did. I received a text message the other day from someone I mentored, and she said to me, my husband is frustrating me so much. She just got married. And I try to tell him, because isn't that what relationships are? You're supposed to talk about it. And he tells me he feels like he's walking on eggshells. I don't know what to do. And I said, well, is he? She didn't respond for two weeks. And then she said to me, thank you. I guess I thought I was good at forgiveness until I got married and I realized I hold grudges. Anybody else realize maybe forgiveness isn't my strong suit once you got married? My husband, he is good at forgiveness. Like this man has done all the big forgiving things. Like if there was a marathon of Hall of Fames like he or like a, a gold medal for forgiveness like he won it. He has forgiven entire people groups, entire religions of terrorism. He's forgiven entire governments of corruption and systematic injustice. He has forgiven entire denominations of allowing their implicit bias to create systems and policies that oppressed people that looked like him and were from his background. He is good at big forgiveness. And then one day, we were doing some pre-marriage counseling with a young couple, and he says, you know what I really admire about my wife? When we get in an argument, and then we have this, like, conversation, this forgiving conversation, as soon as she forgives, like, she's happy. Like, she gets up and, like, skips around the house. She's singing songs, and it's like it didn't exist. And I'm listening to him. It's this out-of-body experience. Like, first of all, didn't know he admired me for that. Second of all, he's not skipping. Like, he's not happy as soon as it's over. Like, I'm so happy. And it's not, some of us are good at big forgiveness. But when it comes to the little things, it's a little bit harder or a lot harder. Some of us are really good at little forgiveness. But the big things we really struggle with. 
You see, I think forgiveness is this concept that we feel like we've learned in third grade. And because of that, it's very simple. It's black and white. You either give it or you don't. You need to do it. It's good, right? But the reality is it's so much more nuanced than that. I went on social media saw some really great videos on forgiveness with foliage in the background and circle lights and great lighting and microphones. And I thought, this is going to give me some answers. So I watched some videos on forgiveness and I decided to transcribe them for you guys so you can see the kind of messages that we're getting. Let's try this first one. If you do me wrong, I'm not going to come back for revenge. The first thing I'm going to do is forgive you. Sounds logical. The second thing I'm going to do is forget that you were ever a part of my life. (laughs) Forgive and forget, right? Because the fastest way to kill an enemy is love and silence. Another one says, forgiving someone who hurts you is not about them. It's about you. What you forgive, or when you forgive someone, you are not saying, I free you from all that you've done to me. You're saying, I release you from all of my pain. Oh, can we go back to that one? Sorry, I'm reading it for me. Uh, I release you from all of my pain and all of my worries, but most importantly, importantly, I release you from my attention. Because I've spent so much of my time focusing on you and what happened, and now I deserve to be free so I can live a happy life. Parts of truth right? Slightly twisted. Slightly twisted. And the important thing here is that when we have these concepts of truth and we take them and we slightly alter them, maybe like 80% truth, 20% twist on truth, it doesn't make it mostly true. It makes it completely false. The point of forgiveness is to heal. The point of forgiveness is to release the person. Yes, there are byproducts that we get free. That's great. But how transforming is it when someone is really hurt by someone else, maybe a drunk driver or something, and they go, I forgive you, but it's not for you. I will never deal with you again. I will forget you ever existed. It's for me. That doesn't transform our world. That's not a life-giving principle. You see, when we take, like, these, this, this idea of, like, us being free is great. It is absolutely a part of forgiveness. But it is not the point of forgiveness because it loses its transforming power. The point of forgiveness, we have to go back to the word and find. So today we're going to take a very elementary concept. We're going to dig through it, and we're going to say, what is the truth about forgiveness? We're really going to do kind of a forgiveness 101 class, okay? So we're going to hit scriptures. We're going to go to um, Matthew 18, 21 through 35. Okay. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. So this is the first question. How much are we supposed to forgive? And the reality is it looks like society says seven times for them. That's appropriate. Jesus is saying the kingdom is above and beyond that. It's not about 449 times or whatever number you can give, but it's about infinity and beyond, right? You knew that was coming. We're in Orlando. All right. The second question we're going to answer is, what's the point? Like, what's, 
why? Why do we forgive? And it goes into that in verse 23. This verse sets us up for uh, kind of a story, an allegory, a parable that we're going to learn more about this idea of forgiveness. It says, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a certain king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. Now, let me just stop. It's saying for this reason. So we just had two verses on forgiveness. So for the reason of forgiveness, this is what heaven's going to look like. And now it's about to paint a picture of heaven for us, okay? Before we get there, I would just want to take a side note and a quick like sidestep because it's important for us to always reiterate this over and over and over every time we hear it. The Bible is a God-breathed word. It is also a historical document, It was written in a day and age where things happened that were not kingdom-centric, right? Slavery, enslavement of people, manipulation, abuse, coercion are not of God for any people then or now. But it is a historical document and things of that nature are mentioned because that is what was happening at the time. Back to the text. It goes into this parable, verse 24. And when he had begun to settle them, so basically this man said, people owe me debt. There was brought to him one who owed him 10,000 talents. So 10,000 talents is massive amounts of money. And actually Patrick was telling me he researched it. And it's actually in today's day and age, it's equal to billions of U.S. dollars. Okay. He Someone came with who owed him 10,000 talents, but since he did not have the means to repay the Lord, commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. The slave, therefore, falling down, prostrated himself before him, saying, have patience with me. I will repay you everything. So he's asking for patience. This is his asking for seven, right? And the Lord of the slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him of his debt. He went times 70, right? He went above and beyond. He said, you ask for patience for more time. I'm going to give you beyond that. I'm going to clear your slate clean. But the slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. A hundred denarii is just uh, equivalent to um, several hours of work, okay? So the difference is huge. He's just been forgiven of years of work, and now he's not forgiving someone of hours of work. So he seized him and he began to choke him saying, pay back what you owe. So this fellow slave fell down and began to entreat him, saying, and this is the exact same phrase he said, he said, have patience on me and I will repay you. But he was unwilling, however, and went and threw him in prison until he paid back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. I guess back then, people did not like hypocrisy either. They went... And uh, went to the Lord. Then the Lord summoned him and said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you for all your debt because you entreated me. Should you not also have mercy on your fellow slave, even as I had mercy on you? His and his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until they should repay all that he had owed him. And this is the, the bookends of this. He sandwiches it with almost the same scripture as in verse 23. He says, so shall my heavenly father also do to you if each of you does not forgive your brother from your heart. Uh, the, the, this is important because the entire essence of this seems disconnected for forgiveness, but it is not. It is deeply connected to forgiveness because the entire essence of heaven is filled 
from top to bottom, left to right, back to front, overflowing over the brim with undeserving people. Heaven was created for undeserving people. The economy of heaven is mercy. It's where it's been given over and abundantly, and then we turn and we're just giving it out freely because there's no one in heaven that deserves it. So we get to give in the economy of mercy. And this is the point of forgiveness. This is heaven. Ephesians 4.32 says, And be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving one another, as God has forgiven you in Christ. Why do we forgive? Because Christ forgave us. So who am I? Like how arrogant am I to withhold forgiveness from anybody else when I have been forgiven of so much, right? Many years ago, I went to Rwanda and I was working with World Vision and a team there. I woke up early one morning and I went to the lobby of the hotel and I waited as our hospitality director came. We were there earlier than most people. We sat there and I began to ask her about her life and she said, where do I start? I said, wherever you want. She said, in this hotel, the one you're sleeping in right now, my husband was brutally murdered during the genocide. What an opening. I said, what? What did, you, what, did you do? what did you do? She's like, I ran. I was seven months pregnant and I hid under a bed until they left. I said, and then what? She said, I jumped out the window and I ran into the jungle and I lived there for three months. And I said, but you were pregnant. She said, I had the baby in the jungle. I said, but your daughter's 14 now. What's happening now? Like, where are all the people that committed the atrocities? She said, well, we had the Truth and Reconciliation Commission come to Rwanda and they helped us walk through this process. And I said, well, what's the process? And she said, the person who commits the murder sits and tells us what happened in their side of the story. And we listen as the murderer shares every detail of why they did what they did. And then my family and my friends, we sit and we tell him all of the details of this person's life, the stories, our side of the story, what happened, the fear we lived with. And I said, for how long? She said, it doesn't matter. It could be hours, it could be weeks, it could be months. Some people did this for years. I said, well, what happens at the end? She said, we become jury and judge. I said, we being who? She said, me and my family. So you judge him then? Well, he gets to ask forgiveness. And if we believe it's true and genuine, we can offer him forgiveness. And in our receipt of his forgiveness, we cut off half of his prison time. Half? Don't you want him to stay as long as possible? That's scary. So what happens with the other half of the sentence? She said, well, he gets to learn to uh, do agriculture on an incline. Uh, so... Rwanda is filled with hills. It's the land of the hills, and it's hard to do agriculture on an incline. But when you learn the skill, you have an asset for business. So he gets to work the fields. And I said, but your daughter's 14 now. He must be out by now. What, what's going on with all these people from the genocide? It's like half the country. Where are they? She said, well, he's my neighbor. He's your neighbor? Like your neighbor as in in general, like your neighbor in the world? No, he lives next door to me. What? What do you mean he lives next door to me? Well, when he got out of prison, I paid for him to go to trade school because I knew that he was vulnerable. 
and I didn't want another militia army to come and feed him lies and for him to believe that and for him to be tempted to go back into something like this. I didn't want him to be vulnerable, so I paid for him to go to trade school, and then I realized he didn't have a place to live, so I said, I have this land. Why don't I build you a house right here? And she lives next door to her husband's murderer because she doesn't want him to be vulnerable to lies again. And I looked at her. I said, how do you live like this? How do you forgive like this? And she looks at me and she says, Shiloh, forgiveness is our only option. Unforgiveness is a luxury. It's a luxury that so many in the world can't afford. The marginalized, the abused, the oppressed, the tortured, those in poverty, they can't afford unforgiveness because forgiveness is what means survival. And biblically, all of us cannot afford unforgiveness because the one person who can afford forgiveness is the perfect person, Jesus Christ, and he chose to forgive. And if even he and his example chose forgiveness and mercy, we also cannot afford unforgiveness. How? We know how much, we know why, but how? So let's jump back to verse 15. Verse 15 through 20, I want you to promise me you'll go home and read this. It really breaks down a biblical process for forgiveness. I'm not going to go all into it because usually the first step is kind of where we land in the world of forgiving conversations. But let me just outline it for you quickly. First step is to go to them privately. Now let me just present this. If you have something, some weird something that you need to communicate with someone that is um, of the opposite sex or gender or whatever, it is important that yes you go privately but you go in a public space just smart right if they're married whatever it is go in a public space um, secondly if if it doesn't work about going privately you take two or three people as testimony or witness if that does not work you go to church leaders if that does not work you treat them as a gentile now treating someone as a gentile does not mean it's us versus them and ew they're bad and ugly and horrible and we're enemies treating them as a gentile in the new testament says that jesus christ came to save all not just jews but now gentiles so when we treat someone like a gentile it simply means that we're treating them as if they haven't received or heard the good news that they are loved that they're forgiven, that they're understood by their God creator. We treat them as someone who hasn't understood the goodness of love yet, okay? So go back and read that. It's super important for us as Christians to know the biblical process of forgiveness, but we're gonna camp out in verse 15 for the rest of our time. Verse 15 says, and if your brother sins, go and reprove him in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. Like I said, this is a historical document, and I think it's important to always say what, like, elephant is in the room. It talks to brothers. Am I only talking to brothers in here? <laughs> Am I only talking to men in here? No. Is the Bible only talking to men or brothers? Are men and brothers the only people who sin? No. Are they the only people who should forgive? No. This book was written by men for men because women weren't educated at the time. That is simply the extent of it, but it is written for all of us. Men, women, we all get to offer forgiveness, ask forgiveness, and we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So with that said, if your fellow human sins, go and reprove him. So the word sins here is big. Sometimes for me, it feels like I can count on one hand how many people who have sinned against me in my life, right? Not too many, 
maybe an abandonment wound, something from childhood. But the reality is this word sin in the original Greek means to miss the mark. And then all of a sudden the spectrum of sin grows, right? How many times have people missed the mark with me? I mean, that person in the car line at school, the way they looked at me, they missed the mark. My eight-year-old and how she puts her shoes in the wrong spot every single time, she missing the mark. My neighbor, how they don't invite me to their events, they miss the mark, right? And all of a sudden we're realizing maybe I have a little more forgiveness to do than I thought. The word sins was actually used in this context, it meant sins against you which was taken from a phrase that used to be used between humans and God. So it was sins against God. And now they're shifting this, you know, vertical thing down to a horizontal thing. You know how we say people sin against God? Well, they can also sin against you. They can also miss the mark with you. And that word also means uh, someone who is unable to regulate their relationship with God. Have you ever had a best friend, a brother, a sister, a parent, a child who you're like, they just don't know how to regulate this relationship. Their relationship with me, like every time they turn around, like they're up and down and all over and they still can't get me. They still don't know me. And at some point you're like, this is just too much work. I might as well just like put up a healthy boundary. (laughs) Right? I, I do think healthy boundaries are good. They're important. If you are unsafe, if you are being abused, you absolutely should put them up. But we are in a day and age in a culture where the temptation is to put them up everywhere in the name of Mr. Annoying, Mrs. Dress is Strange, Mr. Person who, you know, looks at me funny in the workplace. And we're throwing up healthy boundaries all over the place and keeping everybody at arm's length. If someone has sinned against you, if someone doesn't know how to regulate their relationship with you, they keep missing the mark, what do we do? The first word says go. They could have taken that word out. They could have just said reprove him, but they said go because if you are like me, you found yourself in a place where you're like, well, if she doesn't tell me what's wrong, I guess it's just not my issue. She is responsible for herself, right? But the reality is biblical forgiveness says when you know there's tension, when you know there's something unspoken, when there's an awkward moment, those are missing the mark. And we as Christians are the goers. We're the get up and doers. We're the ones who go, you know what? I'm not going to allow this tension between us any longer. I'm not going to allow this unspoken tension any longer. I'm going to go. I'm going to be proactive because your relationship and your life means more to me than holding whatever I'm holding. But we in our culture have spent a lot of time allowing little tensions to build up and cut relationships here and there and all over the place. Unfollow, unfollow, don't talk to them again. Let it go, ghost them. We're super good at ghosting. But we're called to go and reprove him in private. The word reprove has a lot of meaning. And if, again, if you're like me, if I don't initially know the word in the Bible, I seem to kind of parallel it with something that I do know. So for this word, I thought about the word reprimand. But then I looked at reprimand and I looked at the original Greek of reprove and essentially there's some commonalities but there's some differences. The word uh, reprimand means to go in public, have an official account bringing truth to light and convicting someone of their wrong regardless of whether they come to agreement that it is their wrong. It carries a connotation of harshness. To reprove 
means to go to a person in private to bring truth to light, similar, with, mixed with kindness, with the intention that the person you're reproving will come out on the other side of this conversation in agreement of that truth. Do you see the difference? It's kindness. It's love. It talks about being reasonable. The next, the next line on that says, if he listens to you, you will have won your brother. I don't know about you, but any conversation I've gone into where I think the other person owes me an apology, which has happened a lot, especially in marriage, and I go in expecting them to listen, but I'm not expecting myself to listen, it doesn't end up going so well. Anybody else? <laughs> right? This word reprove is about us giving listening as well as receiving listening. And sometimes in that process, we think we're the one that should be owed an apology. But in the end, sometimes we realize that I'm the one that needs to do the apologizing. And the word reprove says going into the conversation with the intention that on the other side of it, we have an agreed truth. That's important. I've gone into conversations forgiving conversations, literally with my husband going, I asked for forgiveness 15 minutes ago. What are we still talking about? And I'm like, well, you don't get it, you know? And the reality is going into conversations with just this we're on separate teams without this idea of like we're going in to reprove, which means we're going in with the intention that we'll be, we will end up in agreement on the other side. There's a whole different outcome. So how do we do this? We do it with kindness. We do it with honesty. We don't avoid truth. We don't pretend like it didn't hurt. We're authentic, we're raw. We say, this is where I'm hurt. And we allow people to do the same. With reasoning, with humility, and with the goal of restoration. You see, I think we've missed the point sometimes and we think that forgiveness is the point of all of this, but it's not. We've overemphasized it idolized it, put it on a pedestal. But the reality is forgiveness is not the end goal. Forgiveness is a means to an end. And at the end of verse 15, it tells us the point, what is the point? Winning people. Because if he listens to you, you've won your brother. That word win in the ESV says gained. You've gained a person. And the original Greek says you have created an investment more than you originally put in. So essentially that means that this relationship I had before now has been in this space of awkwardness, unspoken grievances, hurts, and I'm over here angry. But I, if I turn and go back and wade through the awkwardness, the hard conversations, the clearing the air, the healing moment, I not only, I don't just get the relationship I had before, it's not only restoration, but it's a returned investment. It's an ROI. It's 3%, 5%, 20% return. Your relationship gets stronger and better than it ever was before. And this is the transformative gospel of forgiveness. This is the kind of forgiveness that changes the world. I used to say that love is the last thing that shocks people in this world. But with social media and everything, I really believe that the definition of love is radical forgiveness. Forgiveness where people do not understand why you would ever let someone be your neighbor after that. My husband is good at big forgiveness. Years ago, he 
went through something that I watched and as a white person didn't believe still existed today. And I watched him as implicit bias became racism that hurt him and our family and we stood in our kitchen and we wept. The powerlessness, the feeling that no matter who you are, no matter how many credentials you have, no matter what your calling you've got, no matter anything, it doesn't matter. People weren't gonna talk to you simply because of how God created you. And he's good at forgiveness, these big ones. For me, I went away and I struggled. I couldn't sleep at night. I was angry, I was overwhelmed. And I called my pastor and I said, I don't know what to do. I can't sleep at night, I can't get over this. I'm angry, I'm frustrated. He said, why don't you write a letter and throw it away? So I began to write this letter. And at the beginning of the letter, I was angry. I couldn't even say their names. I was calling names. I was saying, you did this and you did this and you did this. And halfway through the letter, I realized that these people were not staying up at night anxious about me. They were not staying up at night writing my husband letters and throwing them away. It was not personal to them. In fact, it was just their way of being. It was just how they were because they had unchecked bias in their life. And what I realized is we just happened to be in their pathway. And I began to have compassion for them that they would never experience the kind of life and joy that you get when you are in community with people that are different than you and also the image of God. And I began to have compassion for the world and sorrow for the world, for all those who would also run into their pathway and would be hurt by this. I began to see a boat and a wake, you know, wake behind a boat, the, the water that goes like this. And I began to see little bodies in the pathway behind them of all the people that will continue to be in their pathway. And my heart broke. I want to read you guys the last part of my letter. Oppression and abuse confuse people, and that is what you have done for us. We spent years in confusion, but now it is clear. It was never about us. I'm so sorry that we were in your pathway, but we have become stronger for it. We are stronger even now. You have not beaten us. You cannot claim us as a victory. You cannot stuff us or mount us on a wall. We are not dead. We are standing and we are strong. And we will leave you in our wake. And our wake will say, I have met the Kashimas and they are merciful. Whether you have a letter to write today, maybe to really send, or maybe it's just to throw away. Maybe you need to make a call today. Maybe it's not some big, huge, horrific thing that they did, but maybe there's just been a tension between you both. Maybe it's a family member that you didn't understand why they voted or how they voted or who they are or what happened. Maybe it's a child that you have not understood why they act the way they do. Maybe it's small, maybe it's big. But when we return to a biblical understanding of forgiveness, we are able to say, God, how are we winning people? Are we putting up walls before they even get close enough to have messy conversations, healing conversations, restoring conversations? Or are we just idolizing the idea of forgiveness and only thinking we have to do it one or two times in our life? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you have done the incredible act of giving mercy 
in abundance and spades to us, forgiveness in the awkward and trying moments. And God, it is our desire to give that back incrementally throughout our lives to all those who have missed the mark with us. Lord, whether it is big or small, I believe that you're telling us all right now, someone in our lives that we get to restore a relationship with, have a healing conversation with, or maybe it's a people group. Maybe it's someone we thought we understood that we didn't. We thought we had things right only to realize we were the ones that needed to ask forgiveness. Lord, I pray that you give us hearts to be winners of people, to bring people close into the messiness and confusion of life so that we can receive healing, restoration, and see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service time, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.